Hello, and welcome to the Next in Health podcast. I'm Igor Belikronitsky. I'm a principal with PwC Strategy End, where I get to help leading health organizations with their strategies and operating models. And my guest today is Dr. Ari Hoffman, who's the Chief Clinical Officer at Collective Health. So first, a little bit of context for this conversation. We pretty much every time on this podcast talk about the major issues in healthcare. In particular, we talk a lot about the affordability of healthcare and how it's a challenge for consumers, many of whom struggle to pay their healthcare bills. It's a challenge for the public sector as they look to make healthcare more affordable. And it is also a challenge for employers who seek to provide a broad range of health benefits for their employees, but it is very, very challenging to continue doing so and to know that you're getting great value for the money that you're spending. And this is the issue that Collective Health seeks to address, to help employers pick the right benefits and get the most value out of those benefits. And that's why we're excited to have Dr. Hoffman on with us. So Dr. Hoffman, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Igor. We appreciate having you here. And maybe just let's start with the basics. We'd love to have you tell us a little bit about yourself and about the role that you play at Collective Health. Chief Clinical Officer is not something we normally see at a benefits company. And then just tell us more about Collective Health, what it does, where did it come from, what the objectives are. So about yourself and about Collective Health. So my name is Ari Hoffman. Please call me Ari. You call me Dr. Hoffman and then I'll have to examine you and it could get awkward on the podcast. So I like to be informal. And I'm an internal medicine doctor by training, been affiliated with UCSF for about 20 years now, which seems crazy to say, flies by. My background includes some time in DC doing health policy related work, a lot of focus on value, constructs of value, thinking about how we work better value into our policy. And because I was in DC during 2008 and 2009 in the lead up to the Affordable Care Act, the passage of the ACA, I really learned a lot about insurance market regulation from the federal government side and concepts of value-based insurance. So it's been really exciting for me to bring that sort of confluence of background experiences to Collective Health. And a little bit about Collective Health. The vision of Collective Health is to build a transparent healthcare system that's as easy to use as the internet. What we continue to work on building is really a workforce health benefits platform that aims, as you said, to achieve better health at lower costs. And the founding story of Collective Health is that in 2013, just turning 10 this year, Ali Diab, our CEO and co-founder, went through a, a really a horrific health scare. He needed emergency care and led to him struggling with the navigation of understanding his benefits and accessing the care that he needed and paying for the care that he needed. And I think he realized what so many of us do, which is that if someone as plugged in and privileged was having that degree of struggle, that this is really a great need for so many others in the system. And that moment of clarity for him was that a more positive health experience is one that's simpler, that's understandable, that's personal, that's affordable. And that was really the founding story of Collective Health. So the goal here is to change the way people experience their health benefits by making it more seamless, making it effortless to understand, navigate, access, and pay for healthcare. And 
There's a number of ways through which we do this. So it's through reducing the administrative lift of delivering health benefits through good design and digital tools that make for a more intuitive member experience. And then from a population health lens, staying focused on healthcare value, which to me is, as I said, better health at lower cost. You also asked about my role, chief clinical officer. There are three main domains there. I think about clinical strategy and operations. So I work as a subject matter specialist across engineering, design, research, product, and operations to set clinical strategy and help guide everything from roadmap priorities to process improvement work. There's a population health component that's really about close partnership with people much smarter than I am and all our data scientists and analysts to understand patterns in data and predict key outcomes and help prescribe next actions. And then there's a thought leadership and communications element to the job, which is to help internal communications and communicating about our core value propositions and visions and where we're directing our work across our company, as well as opportunities like this one to speak more publicly and externally facing. That's great, Ari. And we appreciate having you here telling the story. And we seem to be in this challenging time right now where there's sort of two competing pressures. On one hand, the economic downturn means that all companies out there feel margin pressure. And so it's harder for them to afford to provide all the benefits and all the coverage that they would like to provide for their employees. On the other hand, the employees still want and need a lot of benefits. And there's, in fact, competition. Part of the labor market competition is to provide a lot of benefits. And there's so many different options. There are all these startups, there's all these tools and services and apps that purport to improve the health of your workforce. And so for an employer, how do you navigate this noise? How do you navigate these challenges of both affordability pressure and all these options and make good choices and do right by your people? Igor, I think that's really the central question in the employer benefits space and one that employers and their consultants and others in this space have grappled with for a long time. But I do think it's particularly acute right now with utilization, which was low during 2020 and 2021 due to the COVID-19 pandemic, largely returning to pre-pandemic levels in this past year, as well as the macroeconomic environment, having really pressured employers to review budgets with increased scrutiny. In the past year and a half, I've had the pleasure of meeting with a lot of benefit leaders and consultants in this space. And I think they're all trying to reconcile these realities with really a genuine desire to help people, yet also a need to make ends meet because health benefits in particular are so expensive. So I think if you start by just thinking about how can you actually save money if you're crafting a benefit plan, and let's just take the medical plan component I think a lot about all these other elements, and you mentioned the dizzying array of what's sometimes called point solutions in this broader ecosystem of options of services that you can provide for your employees. But I also think we think a lot about medical, pharmacy, dental, and vision at Collective Health, but I'll just focus for a moment on medical plan just to sort of simplify for a moment. So I think you only have so many levers for saving money on your medical plan. You have the network selection itself to try and find the best discounts for the geographies you cover. You have payment integrity, fraud, waste, and abuse type work to ensure you're paying the right amounts and not overpaying when possible. And then I think 
two really interesting levers to me are plan design and navigation. And so on the plan design side, that's a really powerful tool. And I think about it in behavioral economic terms, which is if you've read the book Nudge, you'll recognize that that's the choice architecture for the plan year, right? Once you're in a plan, the structure of that plan creates the choice architecture that you as a member, as a person trying to navigate the healthcare system, you know, you sort of have to stick within that, that plan design. And then navigation to help guide people to the most appropriate and high value care at the most cost-effective sites of care within the system. So my job is to think a lot about those last two in particular, plan design and navigation. And one of our central theses at Collective Health is that the integration of those two, the administration of plans as a third-party administrator and the engagement, advocacy, and navigation all on one platform are what gives us optimal opportunity for impact. So just to dive into plan design for a little bit, you could think about plan design from a lot of different angles. I do think self-funded benefit plans are interesting to employers, partly because they can leverage data to inform plan design. And there are some benefit offering flexibilities that come with that. A lot of options, there's a ton of options in terms of solutions that you might offer. A mental health, a digital health provider, for example, a fertility benefit, for example. There's also a, lot, a ton of variations that you could take with plan design. And I think that if you are just trying to save money, right, it's not actually that hard to just save money with plan design. You could shift costs to employees, for example, through higher and higher cost shares. There are ways to just delay and deny care. You could cover less, for example. That would all save plan money, but it's with great pain and friction and dissatisfaction. So that doesn't get to the answer of your question about like, how do you still have a comprehensive benefit that's achieving better health and still satisfying to people while still trying to make ends meet? And I think we're particularly in a place where ongoing cost shifting is really not that tenable. I mean, we've been on this kind of 20 year experiment with more skin in the game for individual patients in this space for increasing deductibles over time. And that has had some planned savings, but we're now seeing a lot of affordability challenges as a result. And we know that about 30% of people are avoiding needed care due to costs from our own internal analysis on our platform. And so I think we have to seek other ways where we can be more customized in benefit plans, create incentives for high value care, and really help people understand benefit design and basically hold their hand and walk them through it, guide them through to avoid the waste in the system, to find the highest value parts of the system, to seek more cost-effective sites of care when there are less costly alternatives available for the same quality, those types of themes. All right, that's very helpful. And it seems like in a lot of other places in healthcare, the key is striking the right balance between standardization so you can get the scale benefits and personalization and customization so you can get the right level of engagement and participation and behavior change. I know in your constant quest to optimize and be data-driven, you've done a survey of employers recently. Very curious to hear what you're learning out there. Thanks, Igor. We did a third-party evaluation of our impact on medical and pharmacy claim spend that found that 
collective health cut the healthcare cost trend by half over a five-year period for the clients who were included in the study. And the fact that it was a five-year study was really interesting to me because I, I think there's a lot of post-implementation, pre-post analysis out there. And I, I really wanted to see a more longitudinal impact for those who'd been on the platform for that period of time. It was also interesting to see where those impacts took place. So we did see improvements across the top 10 most prevalent condition groups analyzed, which included sort of big ticket population health categories like diabetes, hypertension, of a number of musculoskeletal conditions, for example. One other one that was interesting to me was just seeing engagement go up over chronic condition count and higher cost efficiency gains in those with two chronic conditions. Kind of a sweet spot of impact, at least in a study on our platform. And for us, that was about the opportunity of combining those things, like I've mentioned up above the mix of plan design and navigation and pulling together the administration of the plan with engagement, advocacy, and navigation and the opportunities for impact there. I want to come back to something you mentioned that piqued my curiosity, which you mentioned you do analyses on the data that you have internally and my understanding is that you're testing out there with a number of organizations, what's effective, what is the correlation between the spend and the savings and the benefits. You've done some surveys, so I'm curious to hear what you're seeing in the market, not just you know kind of anecdotes and conversations, but also a bigger picture, the trends and the correlations. Yeah, there's a lot in that question, Igor. I'll try to be concise. Just going backwards from big picture trends, which was at the tail end of your question, you know, I'm seeing a lot more interest in things like tiered benefit designs, especially from really large employers who see an opportunity to create a really preferred tier for people that's much more rich in its benefit design. So the opportunity from the individual perspective is to have what I think of as a more of an almost free swimming pool of healthcare, right? And it's like good primary care mental health services, maybe some specialist care that's curated in different ways, using good data to understand where the opportunities are in the system, where are the highest value parts of the system. And so structuring these designs to help guide people to those higher value parts of the system, that's definitely an increasing area of interest in this space. I think what comes with that though, right, is like, it's really hard for people to understand in-network, out-of-network. It's hard for people to understand deductible, copay, coinsurance, and premium, right? I think there's Kaiser Family Foundation has surveys of that, like how many people identify those four things correctly. And I think it's something like 80% of the population struggles to identify all four of those or correctly define all four of those. So now you're adding in in-network, a little less in-network, even less in-network, like if you start doing tiered designs, you imagine how complex this could be from the patient standpoint. And I think that's why it's so important to combine any plan design changes with really thoughtful approaches to plan understanding that start with plan selection, quite frankly. Like people need help selecting the plan that's most appropriate for them and their families. And then all the way through accessing care and every step along the way of the patient journey. So that's kind of how I see the broad theme. And now you've got the use of data to identify like, what are those high value parts of the system? 
that's actually been a field that's really grown up pretty quickly in the past few years. And you're seeing a lot of new players in this space who that's their whole reason for being. There are companies who are taking large quantities of data and helping others understand where the value is in the system and where the waste is in the system, whether it's through domains like appropriateness. So better understanding where there's inappropriate levels of care going on. And as somebody who's really thought a lot about this in academics and in the, on the delivery care system side, it's not just money. That's a problem when you overuse the system or inappropriately offer procedures or medicines or extra services to people. It's also that like unnecessary tests create more unnecessary tests because you get an incidental finding that gets chased down. There's actual harms. A lot of these things are with risk of real harm because you're talking about procedures and now you've got complications from procedures that weren't necessary to begin with. So it's better health and lower costs when we reduce the inappropriate and overused services. And we know there's a ton of opportunity there. Then there's quality, good quality and measuring quality in different ways. And I think we still have a ways to go there. I think there's still a lot of measuring what we can instead of measuring what matters. You have to be a realist and measure what is available, but there's still a lot of real process focused measures as opposed to outcome measures for guiding quality in the healthcare system. If you ask people what matters to you as an individual, a lot of what comes back in the survey data is stuff about what makes life high quality for people, what makes life worth living. Things like, I want to be able to get out on the soccer field. I want to pick up my grandkids. I want to make it to my cousin's wedding. And those are functional outcomes that people want to be engaged in life in the ways that are meaningful to them. And how often are we measuring that in the healthcare system, right? We're measuring like, did you get a beta blocker after your heart attack, which we know is important and we know is attached to real outcomes down the line, but there's so much more that's meaningful that isn't measured well. So I think there's a lot of growth there. And then cost efficiency, that does matter, right? We're trying to make ends meet while doing right by people. It's important to see where the high prices are, unnecessarily high prices, and where providers and provider systems are most efficient and cost-effective in their care for patients. So we have a place to play in that as a benefits platform. And one of the things that I've spent a lot of time with our data science team working on is really trying to bring some of that academic rigor from my background to this space through more causal inference studies and not to get too nerdy and in the weeds on you, but you see a lot of like sort of pre-post analyses like, oh, well, here was the data before we had this solution and here's the data after and then drawing potentially erroneous conclusions because there's just a lot of problems with that style of analysis. And so I think the more we can not necessarily run randomized controlled trials on everything, but use really like matched cohort studies and apply that more advanced analytics and statistical rigor, the stronger our conclusions can be about which of those solutions in that dizzying array that you led off with at the top are really having the biggest impact on claims and seeing the outcomes in the spend and utilization. Well, you've come to the right place to talk about causal inference and other topics and population health. And we love synthetic controls and we've built our own digital twins to be able to better understand 
how a population behaves and develop stronger theory of change. And so maybe this is one place where we can start kind of bringing things to a close is on the past episodes, we've had some of the point solutions around things like chronic back pain or obesity. We've talked about choice engineering through things like virtual first health insurance packages where you can adjust the benefits on the fly. And clearly technology is creating new opportunities for us to make better, more confident forecasts, to intervene faster, to compare the effectiveness of different methodologies and just get more data in. But what are your thoughts on how technology is going to transform this space, is transforming the space to give us better effectiveness, better outcomes, better results, and better affordability, and hopefully also better equity down the road? It's a great question, Igor. I think you sort of answered some of it in the question itself. I think there's tons of growth with the use of technology in better data and using that data to understand the patterns in whether it's at the population health level or, you know, behavior change level or understanding which modes of communication are most helpful for which people and getting to a place of more personalized experience within the healthcare system and really being able to match the highest value, most cost-effective resources that are available to the needs of the individual. I think a lot about that matching of resources and needs with the work we do on our platform. We're still all learning a lot of lessons about, like you mentioned, virtual first plans, which care, when should be virtual and recognizing that there are still physical needs and that sometimes no matter what we do with fancier technology, if we don't get people engaged in the system, if we're not getting their eyes on our portal message or our ping to them, then we're not having the desired outcome. And so that's where realizing that strong digital tools also need to be backed by human supports and figuring out how to right-size all of that is a lot of the game that's being played in this space. Well, Ari, thanks for a great conversation and thanks for all the great work you're doing at Collective Health, helping organizations mix and match and optimize the benefits to keep their people healthy and engaged and doing well. Appreciate the conversation. Thank you, Igor. For more on these topics and other health industry insights driven by policy, innovation, and care delivery changes, please subscribe to our podcast and be sure to listen to the prior episodes as well. Until next time, this has been Next in Health. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.